welcome back to another episode, our second episode of season four, Parallel Barking. Oh, Philip, are you going to start counting all year? Bark, bark. No, I won't. That I was <sighs> just thinking that would be terrible. That would be a bad, bad oh idea. God. But number two isn't terrible. I can do that. I'm Ariana Backer. Arf, arf. Well, Larry I'm Backer. Wolf. Welcome back. Co-host. <laughs> What's your name? I told you. Did you? But Larry Backer. All right. Let's great. get on with the business. Oh, my God. If you would stop interrupting. I'm feeling, I'm feeling electrified today. Oh, wow. What a great segue. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to talk about South Africa. Um, things have been heating up. Well, maybe not, actually. Uh, that was a terrible pun. Um, because things have getting, gotten a little serious in South Africa lately. Um, since actually 2007, there has been an energy crisis. Um, and most people know this in South Africa. If you don't, now you do. And, and we're focusing primarily here on the electrical grid. We are. Um the uh, troubled state-owned power utility ESCOM. Oh, um, you sound like a reporter for. A, <laughs> it produces about ninety-five um, percent, most of the uh, country's electricity. What's happening right now is it's implementing um, blackouts. But it continues to implement blackouts. And it, it's continuing blackouts. And what um but but let's call them what they're calling it. They're calling it, they're, it, they're calling it load calling shedding. Load shedding. Load right. shedding. I love euphemisms, especially yes. administrative euphemisms. Yes. I mean, the first time I, I heard this, I <laughs> Man, I thought you were talking about a snake. I didn't know in what context it was meant. I, you know, or you were engaging in potty humor. Yes, exactly. That's it. That is exactly what I thought. My God. So yeah, the South Africa electrical grid is now uh, part joining the lexicon of potty humor jokes. Well, I mean, it is cold. It is getting its load. It All right, but anyway. Wide. Okay, so, um, it. There are different stages to these blackouts. They can be for different amounts of time and they're like stage five, stage six. Um, and apparently, for instance, stage um, six is um, that businesses and homes go without electricity for more than 10 hours a day. Um, and and stage five is when um, they go for up to eight hours a day without. It almost sounds like you're talking about cancer. <sighs> but it's good that the um, I'm I'm always pleased when administrators globally, because there's this global administrative culture. I don't care where you are, uh, where they they like to borrow the imagery and the the signification from other and related fields. And in this case, uh, there's a bit of irony that the administrators for administrato speech are um, are borrowing the uh, the language of medicine. And in this case, the 
the high fatality rate uh, medicines of cancer. Uh, so we're in we're in stage five or six, and probably it can go up to stage infinity. Yeah, that's they, they can parse it out. But yeah, no, they, and then they've got this down to a science. It's been almost half a generation now that they've been doing this. This has become the the normal, and that's what makes this really interesting. Well, I, I think in recent days, it's it's being. Um, it's coming to a head because of how how high these these stages have um, reached. It, it's come to a a um, people right. are are right. a point a point right a point at which the administrator's capacity to maintain stability and order and to manage the masses into being quiet and just grumbling uh, is probably going to be less and less successful, and there'll be an explosion somewhere. It's a fear. Well, yeah, I mean, and I don't mean an explosion of the electrical plant. How could there be? How uh, could there be? I mean, yeah. it's not only loss of electricity because I mean, without electricity, you don't have water. Well, and you, and you don't have business, and you don't have jobs, right? And, and right, the you're losing your economy. economy. Think about if you don't have electricity all day long, um, your your economy is going to shrink. And now, it has yeah. already at least 0.7% in well and and even if it doesn't shrink the the um the load shedding policy especially one that's now what almost 20 years old in its current form um also tends to be destabilizing even if you don't have a crisis um the instability that it causes in the ability of South Africa to continue to be the economic engine for the at least the southern part of the continent becomes uh, more and more imperiled. Uh, that's an opportunity, of course, for Nigeria and for West Africa to take a dominant role um, away from the the southern cone of Africa as as they descend. Uh, but all of this was, in a sense, preventable. Uh, in in I did a little bit of looking. There's there's some background that's that's worth looking at. Um, and this this has its origins not in 2007, but apparently uh, at the very start of the post-apartheid government, uh, in flush with uh, possibilities and hope and and everything, uh, there was a, 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 a what has become a very uh, at least well-known or somewhat well-known analysis that was prepared in December 1998 uh, for ESCOM that effectively predicted that the electrical that the company that was running the electrical grid would run out of power reserves by 2007 right so this is 1998 2007 and that they they um they suggested uh and you can quibble about you know how you could tweak the suggestions but at least they made the suggestion hey look it's 1998 we got until 27 2007 uh, we really need to do something to augment and improve supply, and not just supply, but supply and reliability. Because like an automobile, an electrical system and their plants tend to deteriorate over time, and they have to be maintained, and at some point they have to be replaced, and your, um, your kind of uh, smorgasbord of energy producing uh, coal, oil, I know nuclear. where this is going. Where is it going? 
But that's when they started the load shedding. That's when they started the load shedding. Right. And so what, what wound up happening actually with the report, everyone said, wow, this report was really good. And the government did nothing. And and at the time, it was reported that the government did nothing uh, because they were thinking about um, privatizing the, the company and they were thinking that uh, they really didn't need to do very much. And so there was uh, some smallish permission to increase production um, until 2004 when, when, uh, when larger permission was granted. But by that time, other things started happening and, um, and nothing really wound up uh, occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, all right, so that, that gets you to the load sharing and, and, and in a sense, uh, can produce a kind of stable regime of instability where you've got load sharing and eventually uh, a government that has the funds to deal with this eventually will turn their attention to this because a lot of people are going to start complaining uh, at all uh, at all class levels from your entrepreneurs to just working people who need a job. But then a couple of other things have been going on. Uh, the South African government has itself uh, appears to be the the politics of South Africa has become much more dynamic uh, and to some extent much less stable. Uh, and two things have have started to have an additional and an leveraging effect, which is moving us uh, to uh, to stage six, seven, and who knows maybe stage ten. Uh, one of them is uh, corruption uh, within the system. Uh, and the other is crime, and the other one is economic instability. Uh, the corruption is is South Africa is like uh, a number of other countries uh, in the midst of dealing with a significant challenge of corruption at every level of the operation of the state and outside of the state. Uh, their inability to deal with it effectively. Uh, has repercussions on the economy generally, but in this case has significant repercussions on the ability of the the, uh, grid operators to actually work effectively. Uh, More interesting still is uh, the synergy. When you think about criminality, you think, well, okay, uh, everyone says when you've got a stage six load sharing, there's no electricity for 10 hours, so criminals are going to go around a darkened city and rob people. Uh, or do all kinds of other nefarious things, and they do. But that's not the interesting part of the criminality. Apparently, criminality also occurs in this case, uh, where they go into um, uh, power stations that are closed and start effectively dismantling it uh, to steal parts for uh, for sale in, in other markets. And that is, in a sense, a sign of desperation uh, and and it has a spiraling effect on the ability of the system to recover. Um, and you you've got to have a little bit of sympathy for people. I mean, people got to do what they got to do in order to survive. But that makes a bad situation uh, worse. So you've got uh, criminality, uh, in the the usual uh, quote unquote criminality, uh, but also um, it's mostly metal theft. Um, the, to to then go in secondary markets and of course uh, corruption and then the last thing because of all of this instability there's been uh, both labor trouble and corruption induced um, uh, effectively extortion 
in certain areas and in, in certain sectors of the grid. Uh, and as a result of this, either as part of labor action or as part of criminal activity, there's been uh, what has been reported, uh, I think, since 2021 as sabotage of the plants. So you're making bad things worse. So you put all of this together and you've got uh, a plant that uh, and you've got a grid system that is uh, not just vulnerable, but whose vulnerabilities then exacerbate the, the difficulties. The, the result is you know, welcome to the 21st century. Um, all of a sudden, something that you would think would have been um, fairly well protected and fairly off limits, given its substantial importance, um, is not uh, to the point where the government, I think, has called in the military now to uh, either operate or to somehow um, protect the integrity of at least portions of the of, of the electrical system. Right. So that makes this interesting. What makes it more interesting, however, is the similarity. South Africa is not unique. And the vulnerability of electrical grids, the harvesting or the reaping of the uh, the inattention to electrical grids, especially uh, that most countries have um, have not really paid maybe as much attention as they should, is likely to show up in a bunch of other places. Uh, and so when you look at South Africa, you go, wow, this is this is like a, uh, you know, almost a an ideal case of if things can go wrong in a, a country that is, um, that is, even though it's, it's got a lot of challenges on its way up, how does it manifest, can it manifest itself in other places? Uh, and one of them, for example, is in the United States, where the vulnerability of the electrical grid has been shown uh, even by lone people who just have a hankering for uh, destroying electrical substations that then trigger um, regional or local blackouts. Uh, we saw that in Oregon uh, um, recently. Yes, there, yes there's, I've experienced of this, Right. And then we've got the Europeans, the huddled masses of the Europeans, who for a while, it, it didn't happen for all kinds of reasons, some of which will land people at the lowest reaches of hell uh, in the context of the, the Russian-Ukrainian uh, war. Uh, but there was a fear, for example, that there'd be rolling blackouts uh, in Europe because having decided that they were going to strip themselves of uh, nuclear power generation ago and having thought that they could anchor themselves in this deeply intertwined system of gas, which is cleaner than coal or petroleum, uh, and having not invested enough money in climate-sensitive alternatives, solar, hydroelectric, and the like, um, they found themselves in a, in a situation where um, electrical security uh, was now threatened by foreigners in the context of conflict that technically was outside their borders, but then can have significant effects. And so one of the interesting things about the, the South African situation, which is bad and is unique in its own right, given its context and the history of South Africa and the like, but you can generalize a little bit or you can draw insights from there. One of them is the, um, the neglecting both the strategic and operational importance of an electrical grid system, and especially in the context of not just political stability, but of moving towards self-sustaining 
uh, climate sensitive technologies, not investing money. And in South Africa, it was worse than that. It was just, ah, this stuff will last forever. And there are any number of countries that are doing that, that the repercussions can be significant. Uh, and they'll show up in different ways in, in different places. But rolling blackouts may be in everyone's future um, because there isn't a country on earth that has not kind of said, well, the lights are still working, so maybe we'll use this money for something else. Uh, well, we're still getting coal or, you know, the plant's still working and it hasn't dropped, you know, to the ground. So maybe we can put this off for a year or two. Forgetting that it takes, and now with uh, environmental legislation and the like, it takes a long, long time to build power generating um, uh, uh, infrastructure um, that is sensitive to environmental concerns and environmental concerns that now increasingly have domestic and international law and norms uh, behind them. I mean, the African National Congress um one of their proposals actually their only proposal um was to move from the state owned stations to a privately owned renewable really so no, no 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 but listen you can't listen but the the great part about that is that it's um owned by um a the president's billionaire brother-in-law patrice cool, cool. all right so you got two things you got time travel back to the 90s uh with the privatization as the the panacea solution for everything uh and and <laughs> um and it's not always clear that privatization, oh, yeah, let's just give it, uh, let's just uh, uh, devolve the operation of this thing to, to private entities, which will look in terms of their human power suspiciously like it did when it was owned by the state. So it's basically the solution to this problem is we're going to transfer capital ownership of mm -hmm. an entity. Uh, and that's like magic. I, I love that kind of magic. But there again, you have structural corruption. Uh, which is as interesting as it was applied. And again, this is time traveling back to the 90s uh, in uh, the the uh, Eastern Europe when it uh, when it de-Sovietized. And uh, I know that's not a word, but <laughs> moved away from the, the, the old Soviet and, and socialist state ownership to privatization. Um, that was a 90s thing, the the level of corruption and therefore mismanagement and inefficiency uh, produced a number of lessons that you would have thought that sitting from the vantage point of 2023, uh, everyone, including our friends in South Africa, might have profited from. But of course, the profiting that appears to be in the forefront may not be uh, focused on lessons learned. On the other hand, maybe they can get this right. Um, I I doubt it, but maybe they can get this right. But still, most bureaucracies and certainly all politicians would tend to kind of, you know, um, I don't know, ooze to the the most uh, bang for the buck for the least effort. And um, and for a state like 
South Africa, which is which is even more ironic since they're now heavily uh, involved with the state capitalist enterprises of the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, they are deeply embedding with uh, with Chinese and development oriented perspectives. Uh, and have been one of the leading members of the post-colonial developing state groups to begin to sound like a shill for quote-unquote 90s Washington consensus solutions uh, is just interesting. But but there you have it. Uh, and, and given that, I, one can't believe that they mean it as they said it, or if they did, they're just putting this off and then finding uh, a series of sacrificial victims in the form of some fool who would take this, uh, unless they're living in Dubai and there's no extradition treaty, who could then be blamed conveniently, and then government officials and the administrative bureaucracy can avoid blame. That's also an old game, uh, but one that's well played by most bureaucracies, apparently even in the uh, most capacity uh, needy states. The one thing that most states seem to have an enormous, or their administrations have an enormous capacity for, is learning the art of avoiding responsibility. Um, and that they're all at the top of their class, which is a pity. Uh, but there it is. On, on the other hand, this problem is going to hurt. The solution for this problem is going to hurt because it's going to require resources capacity, substantial structural and government. Yeah, that's been the uh, big problem, lack of investment. The, so what? That's been one of the bigger problems, lack of investment in. Well, I wouldn't invest in, in a company whose um, who's structural integrity I'm not absolutely sure of. And given the uh, the fairly large uh, and sequential number of scandals with respect to, um, to uh, the governance, uh, public and private in South Africa. Uh, well, companies you don't be necessarily wary. need to. But there's always a the Chinese company. You right. need to invest in the infrastructure. Uh, but there's always a Chinese, and what may happen? I mean, they can always do a Sri Lanka. So what they can do, and then then they've got a great scapegoat too. Uh, they can uh, they can assuming that the Chinese still have an appetite for this, and they may not. The money is not flowing as freely as they as it used to. But one of the things that one could do, given their their context, is that they can go beg a bunch of loans from the Chinese, uh, become even bigger rah rahs for the Belt and Road Initiative have the Chinese and take the burden of building this. Of course, the Chinese are going to import their own workers, et cetera, et cetera, which is going to cause some rioting, but that employs the security forces. And then they get this thing built. The South Africans can't pay. They default. This is, again, the Sri Lankan experience. And then the uh, the the uh, Chinese take over the power grid. If the Chinese are willing to do this. Uh, but you know, you know, burned once, twice shy. Uh, they've got a, a substantial amount of flack for taking over the port uh, in Sri Lanka, which began to look or was easily used by uh, the uh, the enemies of Chinese to suggest that while well, China despises the British colonization and and taking of the port of Hong Kong. They had no qualms about doing the same thing in Sri Lanka. Yeah, That's bad. The optics, optics 
Yes, the optics of that at this time, I'm not sure. But but it may not matter. It may not matter. Yeah, you exactly. may be able to finesse it. But that that certainly is one of the outcomes, right? And that is that yeah, you're not going to privatize this, and you're certainly not going to give it to this this cozy uh, nepotism and and kind of gosh, this really smells uh, transfer to the to a family member. Uh, but you can transfer it to uh, a a significantly important apex power who would be willing to do it eventually, and that would be the Chinese. The Americans, interestingly enough, are nowhere to be found, and the Europeans, whose mess this was, at least originally, given their, um, what in retrospect might have been uh, poorly conceived, although at the time, uh, not particularly um, problematic decision-making at the end of the 19th and early 20th century. This is their their mess. Um, one doesn't see them eager to clean this up, but that's because um, in Europe, having spent a century committing suicide, in a sense, has very little to offer other than moralizing and uh, regulatory capacity. That was mean. Uh, yeah, but not uh, whoa, a little catty today, are we? Well, uh, well, I mean, you know, you feel for for folks. It's it's nice to have this discussion in a room that's heated with electricity, uh, in a relatively stable um, uh, political and and well, forget that the economic yeah. environment. Um, but you know that Maybe. there are tens of millions of South Africans who want nothing more than to be able to turn their lights on, you know, basic governmental services. And yet the South Africans have made it impossible for this to happen uh, by the, in effect, to some large extent by their own hand. And you got to feel for the population who is then, I guess, gas, you can't gaslight where there's no electricity uh, because there's no gas. That was another bad, bad joke, but you're, you're, you're doling out to the masses. And this seems to be the, the way of the 21st century in the face of massive incompetence, uh, in the face of massive corruption and the like. The, the thing that seems to be the go-to for many states is the idea that you must sacrifice for us and for the future. And so the the discourse, the discursive tropes of sacrificing for the nation is, is another sign of corruption, but is being used. Uh, and there is a time and place for this, and it's a very powerful discourse. But one wonders whether it, it's, it's really appropriate in this case uh, to tell the population to suck it up uh, we can't really tell you whose fault it is, except it's it's all our faults by all of us. I mean, the administration over the course of almost a generation. But hey, suck it up. Yeah, and we don't and, have a solution that's, for that's you. That's cruel. Yeah, it it's incredible. It's cruel. Uh, on the other hand, there's an opportunity here. I want to end on a positive note. I, right. At least my Let's thoughts on that. this, I went in on a positive note. To some extent, there's an opportunity here. And this is a missed opportunity, both for the Euros uh, and for the Americans. In the face of the current state of the grid, South the South African grid is primed for leaping a generation of technology 
and moving towards really robust use of what currently is called alternative, but uh, within 10 or 15 years is going to be baseline uh, power generation sourcing, uh, solar, uh, hydro, uh, and stuff that, that I don't even know. And now would be the time if we're really looking at this uh, as a global community, each helping the other, uh, using, uh, invoking modern technologies to leapfrog, um, especially developing states forward, now would be the time not to spend a ton of money to build more coal or petroleum or, uh, or gas plants or even nuclear plants, but it may be worthwhile in the face of the crisis uh, and perhaps this is a joint U.S.-China thing, Well, the Chinese are loaning them money to keep their current grid up, the Americans and the Europeans can be investing in and modeling uh, post-petroleum uh, and perhaps post-nuclear uh, um, grid infrastructures, electric grid infrastructures in South Africa. And unfortunately, I suspect that none of this is going to be done. It would be a great model because if you can perfect it in South Africa where they really need it and they're willing to take the risk, you have then a much more efficient reapplication back into the OECD heartland. Uh, Europe, the Japanese are doing better than, than most of us, but Europe uh, and the United States. So honestly, there, you, probably have, you probably have uh, better luck with a um, someone with a lot of money in America, like a Bill Gates, or an Elon Musk convinced. Well, he just him. blew forty-four million billion dollars on on Twitter. But he's, doesn't mean he still doesn't game. have money. Oh my lord! Yes. So let's go. Um, uh, you know, diamond encrusted uh, golden uh, cups to Mr. Gates and all the other uh, billionaires hey, uh, who will give us a penny or something. Don't act like. Gates hasn't already gone places and um, yeah yeah he's done things to suit himself and to suit the the needs uh and uh in influence augmenting trajectories so we could make this M worth his while as well these foundational um these foundational empires but maybe that's a subject for another podcast all right maybe we can figure out a way of inducing these people to be a little less self-serving and to use their charities uh more proactively other than as a mirror, I feel like the beginning of uh, Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the plumpest, uh, most wonderfulest uh, philanthropist of them all? Well. But that's another podcast. Anyway. <laughs> or like I said, you just learn how to give them what they want. All right. Next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, in the meantime, this really is a nice uh, case study and a very sad one, a tragic one, on how you can take something that was reasonably working and through a combination of all kinds of structural and discretionary decision making uh, and the weakness in a uh, in a state that had the potential for capacity to just then blow it all. Uh, and then even worse, the horror of this, the absolute horror of this, is that the the uh, the administrative bureaucracy in South Africa is, has been far more effective in figuring out ways to excuse it and to develop this new vocabulary of load sh uh, shedding, et cetera, et cetera. And they appear to spend more time on the mechanics of this kind of 
uh, discursive uh, trope than they did on actually fixing and augmenting the power grid itself, which is a commentary on our times as well. Woof, woof. Bark, bark. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time.